Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everyone, welcome to Scattered. We're starting a new series in Colossians. I'm joined today with um, Jill and Helen. We're just going to be looking at the first part of Colossians in chapter 1 verses 1 to 14. So just a quick summary of this section is that it starts again by a greeting from Paul and Timothy calling God to pour out grace and peace on the Colossians and then this is followed by thanksgiving for them for their expressions of faith, hope and love and then he concludes by praying for them and giving thanksgiving for their deliverance through Christ Jesus. Let's start by having a look at a bit of a, the context. Who wrote this book and who is it written to? It is generally agreed that Paul wrote this letter to a church in a city called Colossae, uh, which is uh, not far from Laodicea, which we talked about in Acts and, and Ephesus, two places that we know that Paul visited. He never visited Colossae as far as we know. As for the why he wrote it, there's some big arguments about this, but the general gist seems to be that um, false teachers had been teaching a corrupted version of Christianity that integrated elements of sort of mystical and legal Judaism, maybe with a smattering of Gnosticism. Regardless what the specifics are, they were false teachers teaching a false gospel. Epaphras, who was the person that had heard we think, had heard Paul preaching the gospel um, in Ephesus and then taken that glossy. He'd found Paul in prison and come to him with um, a really good report of the church, but also with some concerns about this false teaching and how best to handle it. And I think this letter is Paul's response to that. So in verses three to eight, he talks about different characteristics of the church in Colossae that he's thankful for. Um, what kind of characteristics does he mention there? I guess we see in verse four that he's heard of their faith in Christ. So faith and then the love that they have for each other, love. And then he says that's because of the hope that um, they have um, for the future laid up in heaven. So, yeah, the three main characteristics are faith, hope and love. And how, how do you think they were... I guess, visible to people, those characteristics. Well, I read a really helpful little thing about this, which was saying if part of this heresy that Paul was writing to um, come against was saying that you have to have a really special experience, almost like an internal reality to their faith, these three things are all really founded not on an internal experience, but on something else. So their faith is that they're leaning heavily on Jesus and what Jesus has done. And so it's not in themselves, but it's it's not in their experience, but it's in Jesus and what he's done. And then the love isn't just some deep down feeling that they have, but it's expressed in acts of service to each other. And so again, that's an external thing that is evidence for their faith. Yeah, the hope is in heaven and in the reality of what's to come and what's been promised to them. So that was yeah well that was one of the things that I picked up on that all those characteristics 
are, are so much more than just internal realities. They do change the way that the Colossians lived. Yeah, and every time Paul talks about these three characteristics, because he talks about these in other letters as well, doesn't he? I think it's 1 Corinthians and a couple of others. He always mentions these three how they are interlinked and every time that Paul talks about them in other places it's always almost always linked to false teaching and so he's kind of saying look you have this solid foundation of your faith in the true Jesus Christ true faith in the true Jesus Christ and therefore you have true love for others and true hope this you know don't forget basically don't forget what you were taught in the beginning um, if you have these three things, you'll be able to weather whatever false teaching is surrounding you and trying to lead you away, which I think is one of the reasons why he then goes on to, in verse 15, we're not looking at it this week, but he then goes on to say, look at the Christ that your faith is dependent upon. Look at what the basis for everything is. And I don't think I'd seen before as clearly as I have looking at this, that it's the hope actually the hope that King Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven and that that impacts them now, um, that gives them that faith and gives them that love. You know, like I'd not seen as clearly before how that hope changes us and gives us power to live differently and to place our weight on Jesus. Yeah. And it's not a hope that like, oh, I really hope maybe this will happen, but it's like that objective that, this is going to happen and no one can take that away. So it's so encouraging to see that anticipation that I know what my future looks like and that has a deep impact on our faith and a deep impact on the love that we can have for our brothers and sisters. Yeah, mm. and I think a deep impact on, in general, how we live our lives like, and how we live our lives together because verse five it says you know that because of the hope laid up for you in heaven it's not a hope here on earth or I hope one day I'll get a nice house or I hope one day this will happen it's that hope that Jesus has said he's going to come back again and he's going to make everything new we can hope in that knowing that it's going to happen and therefore we can enjoy that together we can enjoy that anticipation together we can struggle through that anticipation together as well but it's that um unity oneness in christ both uh, everyone having the same living hope of one day all things being made new through this faith in jesus yeah i think that that hope for the future does change our ability, doesn't it, to love others sacrificially now. And it gives us that power that the future is going to be so beautiful and good that we can lay down our desires and our rights in the short term to enable to love and serve others. Yeah, so these are foundational truths that have come to them. And um, we can see in the next bit how they have come from Epaphras to them. What does Paul here say that the gospel is doing? I was struck in verse six by there's two things in a way. One is it's affecting the whole world. So he's got a big vision, hasn't he, Paul? And he wants to encourage them to have a big vision of this news about Jesus, which is true and happened, is affecting change across the whole world. And so almost he draws their attention to the it's not a special thing for a select few this is universal and this can change the lives of anybody in the whole world. 
but also it's effective because it's bearing fruit and increasing. So actually people and lives and communities are being changed by the truth of God's grace in Jesus. And I guess, again, he's really wanting to big up Epaphras, isn't it? And say, this guy's the real deal. Like, okay, I never made it to your little town as the apostle, but Epaphras has done a really good job in explaining the truth to you. And I just love that sense that the Apostle Paul isn't, it's got to be me, I'm the one with the special skills, but his confidence is in the message and the truth of the gospel. And he just wants to affirm to them, doesn't he? You've, Epaphras has told you the truth and it is enough to change you and to um, keep you going. And it is that concept, isn't it, of the gospel being sufficient. I think our sinful hearts, we're so tempted to do Jesus plus or gospel plus. Paul just speaks against that here, isn't it? You know, what you have been, what was presented to you initially, the truth of the gospel is sufficient, but more than sufficient. I mean, that's the beauty of grace, isn't it? That it's more than is required, more than is needed. Mm -hmm. And he's just speaking against that Jesus plus, you know, that Jesus plus behaving well, meaning that you get to heaven or Jesus plus circumcision. Yeah, that concept of, of the gospel being more than enough for what but they need. I, I agree, Helen. Our hearts are really tempted, aren't they? If like we, there's a new Christian book out or there's a new, you know, you, you, this maybe this is going to be the secret that unlocks, you know, the richer, fuller Christian life. And actually, this passage is so helpful, isn't it? In saying the truth of the gospel, it, we've got to work hard to apply that, haven't we? And we've got to work hard to understand that and grow in the grace of that but that's the deal there isn't a new secret that somebody's just found that adds to the mm. message jesus is enough which i think is also really important for us to think about not only personally but as we interact with others you know how in the uk anyway i think there's more a temptation towards faddy events thinking if this looks nice enough or if this is cool enough then people are more willing to accept our message. If the fairy lights are placed in just the right position. For example, you know, what, what is that saying about the message we're presenting? It's saying it's not enough. I, I think just about the bearing fruit and growing. In some ways, this, could, this looks different in God's eyes compared to our eyes. Because I think sometimes we think, oh, look, there's, that place of worship has, you know, several thousand people. It must be the right, you know, that's bearing fruit and growing, right? But actually, I feel like God sees a bit differently and false teaching could be in those places. And yeah, I think size doesn't necessarily mean truth of whatever's being taught. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, that, yeah, that bearing fruit and increasing, it isn't that Paul says, okay, there's no growth in the Christian life. Like, there is an expectation, isn't there, that we grow and that we understand and are able to apply more and more God's truth in Jesus into di the different circumstances that we struggle with. But that isn't necessarily a growth in numbers, is it? Or, a, yeah, dramatic things that is can just be the faithful applying of God's truth into different hard circumstances as we as we come into them in our lives isn't it 
Paul then goes on to pray for the Colossians. And what do you think characterizes the way that he prays for them? He's very specific in what he prays for them, doesn't isn't he? In verse nine, um, he, the, he prays for them to be filled with the knowledge of um, God's will. He prays for them to have spiritual wisdom and understanding, basically because this will protect them against false teaching. He prays for them in verse ten to live lives in a manner worthy of of um, the truth of God's grace of the gospel. He then prays for them to bear fruit. Paul talks about praying for them to be strengthened, to endure uh, with patience. Yeah, so he's very specific in his prayers for them. I was really struck as well that Paul's never met these guys. He's never been to this church. And yet that dedication, and it says, doesn't it, he's not ceased praying for them. So he's so um, filled with joy that this church exists, that he's not just praying, bless them, prayers it really challenged me about how we pray for churches in other countries that we've never been to that we don't personally know but this level of detail about what's going to help them endure and persist and keep going with Jesus is just super challenging isn't it about and actually what a great thing for like to take this section ourselves and to pray it for you know, churches in other countries or people that we don't even know, but we know that these are good things for people to be growing in, isn't it? I was really struck that the first thing he prays is for the, almost the proper use of the knowledge that they already have. They don't need new knowledge. They don't need a new revelation, but they need all spiritual wisdom and understanding to apply what they already know. And then on the back of that, their the way they live, um, is affected isn't it by how they think so he wants them to be thinking rightly to be applying the truth of Jesus into every area so that they then can walk in a manner worthy and pleasing to God so I found that quite interesting that if we're thinking rightly we live rightly and that's the order isn't it often mm. and I think in terms of how specific he is I I read that each section is trying to deal with also some false teaching that they have themselves heard they have been offered knowledge and wisdom by false teachers but actually this comes only from God a spiritual knowledge that we have the spiritual wisdom and understanding that we have in the way that um it said a manner that we should walk in a manner worthy of the Lord that that in itself was used to guide Jewish behaviors and so He's kind of coming back to saying, actually, all we have is from God and we don't need all this additional stuff to help us live lives pleasing to him. The power that they've been offered from God's rituals to protect them, to acquire wealth, actually, they can receive even greater power from God to help them live lives for him. And yeah, I think it's it's challenged me to think how well do I know the people that I'm praying for as well because the more we know about their needs the more specific we can be I guess about um, the different challenges they're facing and how we can um, be asking 
yeah God to provide for them in their in those areas of need yeah it's interesting isn't it because I guess in a way I had the opposite challenge of these things are the things that all believers need to flourish aren't they and so actually you even if it's somebody that you don't know very well or that you've never met this this sort of little paragraph is a great model isn't it for us to take and use in our prayers for others so yeah I guess it's both isn't it Julia and also I found there was a challenge in ensuring that we pray these things in the good times and the bad I think so often we we feel called to pray for people when they're struggling with things or terrible things are happening but how frequently do we pray for them when things are going well for them oh everything's going okay for them they don't need prayer but actually it's just as important that we pray for them whilst things are going swimmingly and even more so I guess like because when things are going well we're so prone to be proud or like I've got everything in control and um actually I think in almost in the good times it's um yeah your vision is not so clearly focused on um depending on God um rather than just depending on it when we did the life of Joseph I read an article that said that actually the biggest danger point in Joseph's life was when he was promoted to be in charge of Egypt because his life was finally going well. And actually that he was in the greatest peril in his spiritual life at that moment, because he didn't feel a need for anything. He just had everything he could ever possibly want. And that would be the time that he would turn away. And I I think that is probably true of most of us. Yeah, and I guess that phrase in verse 11 about um, endurance and patience with joy, actually, Mm. life can be going okay, can't it? And we can be plodding along, but actually to have endurance and patience with joy is a spiritual thing, isn't it? Just to get up each day and to be so grateful and thankful for the gospel and for God's work, um, enabling us then to endure and be patient in the little like every day has got challenges doesn't it and our patience is tested and our hearts can wander in small ways as well as big aren't they and that's I was really struck by that phrase of endurance and patience with joy is a spiritual thing that we need to pray for each other regularly isn't it yeah especially as we look towards that future hope that Paul talks about um, earlier in that section sometimes it can feel so far off or irrelevant but actually we continue we continuously need to point each other towards that future hope to that reality so that we can endure <laughs> our hardships or and and or whatever's going on our good things and our bad things that we can endure and be patient with joy i think sometimes you can feel a bit like oh let's just get this over with so we can get to this point when actually paul says no this life has a purpose Yes, we're looking to that future hope, but this life also has a purpose um, and we should be facing those purposes with joy and we can be praying for each other in that. Yeah, and then he sort of ends the section by saying, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what do you think we experience here? Or Yeah, there's a real temptation temptation within sort of 
Christian culture that I'm involved in anyway to focus a lot on what you were delivered from. You know, I'm a sinner. Um, this is what I was delivered from. And or, or maybe it's just my personality. That's what I tend to focus on more. But Paul is very clear here, isn't he? This is what you were delivered from, but also this is what you were delivered to. And we need to hold those two things in tension. You know, regret our sin and, and what it did to Jesus, what it's done to Jesus, but also be joyful about being transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. Those two things in tension are so important and we, can't, we shouldn't be focusing on one more than the other because then we do, again, we lose our focus on what the gospel is. Great. Nothing to add to that. <laughs> I also just wanted to quickly talk about verse 12, actually, because there's a bit where it says, um, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Um, when mm. I've, every time I've read this before, I focus very much on the inheritance of the saints in light. But actually, if you just read the first half of it, it's talking about giving thanks to the father who has qualified you. I think that speaks really strongly against that workspace righteousness, Jesus plus thing that we were talking about it's it's God who's done the the qualifying for us to be for us to get the transfer it's him who did the work through Jesus it's not us yeah well mm. it's interesting isn't it that the last two things Paul prays he's he's thanking God for what's been done not you know so yeah God's qualified us and he's delivered us and those have been done, praise him, you know. And so the end of the prayer is thankfulness, isn't it? That those things have been accomplished, that, that um, that's finished. So I was going to just end by asking what the greatest challenges that you found when you were reading this section and what encouragements you could share with us. Um, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I was really struck by the place of hope in that first section, I think I would think a lot more about faith and love than I would about hope. And I was listening to a talk on this in the car on Friday and was saying to my husband, like, how do we cultivate hope? Because actually if it's hope that leads to faith and love, then I need to give a lot more time and attention to cultivating hope. And my husband like just said, well, you need to think about heaven, don't you? I was like, oh, sorry, the right answer, clearly. But it's been really helpful this week because I am um, not at home, but I'm looking after my auntie who's quite old and has dementia and that's hard. And so actually it's been a really great opportunity when she's sad or upset about all the things she can't do to try and help focus her heart on it's not downhill all the way, auntie, is it? Because heaven's real and just cultivating that hope in her, but also doing it in myself by proxy has been really helpful to think heaven is real, isn't it? And that does change the way that we deal with hard things now. But in my day-to-day -day life at home, when I'm juggling five children, I don't often stop and think about the reality of heaven. But it's been a really, it's been really timely this week that I'm in a slightly different circumstance and actually trying to help cultivate hope in my auntie's heart has helped me to just stop and ponder the beautiful realities of heaven and how that does enable us to live differently in the here and now. I was really challenged about my prayer life. We, we didn't talk about it very much, but um, verse three, 
Paul says, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For Paul, he just has this continual prayer mindset. And I just have this mindset of praying when needs arise <laughs> rather than uh, continually. And, and he just has this attitude of constant prayer, constant thanksgiving. And, he, you know, he, he spends a lot of time mulling on how people has, have experienced the grace of God and how that is working out in their lives. And I was really challenged as I thought about this and realized that, you know, spiritual uh, poverty comes when believers, when I don't prayerfully contemplate the experience of God's grace in my life, in, in other people's lives. You know, I just end up with this unthankful perspective when I'm not praying on a regular basis, that when I don't have this thankful mindset, it leads me away from God because I don't acknowledge um, the grace that has been given to me. Yeah, I think I was also challenged by his unceasing to pray for them. Um, is it verse nine? I feel sometimes I have that lie where, oh, I need to like make time or, you know, it needs to be a focused time that I set in my diary. But actually I've noticed this week, my internet's been really bad. And sometimes I've sat there waiting for it to load or, you know, and it's in those moments, you know, it normally takes me about 10 minutes to realize, actually, you know, I could be using this time to pray when the thing's going around and around. But actually, it's really just in the ordinary times of different moments of waiting where we like let our thoughts drift. Actually, those are some of the times when we can, in different seasons, I've got a very young baby at the moment and being a model of persistent prayer in your children's lives is such an important thing to have as well and so in those times of waiting when we're at the bus stop or even when we're just walking to school with them I think you know all those times can be unlocked as like a as an extra opportunity and it's right what you say Julia isn't it we we choose don't we where our mind goes in those driving moments or waiting for the bus and so often we allow our mind to go over all the things that are hard or difficult rather than actually choosing to recount God's goodness or the good things that God's been teaching us or the good things we see in friends that are walking with him and yeah that, that's a real challenge isn't it that where do we allow our mind to wander to and actually, it is a, pray a prayerful attitude would choose to recount God's goodness, wouldn't it? And remind ourselves of all the ways he's been faithful and um, of all the fruit we see in other people around us. Great. So um, thank you for joining us this week. Yeah, we look forward to delving deeper into the letter of Colossians with you. Bye. Bye.